Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Uh, it's a blessing to be here with you this morning. Uh, thanks a lot, Doug, for that song. It's been stuck in my head all week long, literally, over and over and over. And then he sings it this morning. No, I love that song. It's a, the offering, the Christmas offering. I love that song. It's such a... Uh, and actually, I don't mind having that song of all songs stuck in my head, especially this time of year where we celebrate uh, an offering that was given to us by God himself. Uh, to start things off this morning, we're actually going to watch a little video. And we have kids in the audience this morning. And so uh, hopefully this will uh, begin our service with the right perspective. So let's go ahead and watch that video. Well, I, I love that video. And, and I don't mean to ruin anybody's idea of the perfect nativity set with all of those uh, portions involved, all those people involved. But the point of, of it all is that the reason for all of this is Jesus. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking at uh, different perspectives on the Christmas story. And we started off with Mary and Joseph. And, and we learned how, uh, how out of a, a tumultuous situation, family drama, came, came a great blessing for a small family that ultimately led to being the greatest gift for all of mankind. And last week, Dick shared with us the story of the shepherds who heard the message of the Savior from the angels who obeyed their message and traveled to visit the Christ child and experienced great joy as a result of their obedience uh, to the angel's message. Uh, This week we're going to look at the story of the Magi, uh, of those uh, three wise men or three kings as the song tells us. And we're going to look and see uh, what they offer us uh, as a part of the Christmas story. So we're going to begin by reading Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen uh, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country, by another route. You know, this video that we just watched uh, showed that the Magi uh, weren't necessarily there at his birth. Did you catch that? They weren't necessarily there, but, but they were there a short time after, at some point between the time Jesus was born and maybe as late even as two years after his birth, but he was still a very small child. And we know from the Bible that it was recorded in that same passage. So that's why we don't want to be too picky about saying, well, the Magi shouldn't be in the nativity scene. Because that nativity reminds us of the players involved in 
the Christmas story. And the Magi were one of those, wherever, whatever point that they appeared. But the question is, who are these Magi? Who were they? Uh, they're often depicted, again, as three wise men or three kings. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us too much about who the Magi was. We know from the story that they were wealthy and they were able to offer expensive gifts to Jesus. We know that they had great knowledge of prophecy, astronomy, and travel around the country, and they had influence. They were able to come to, to uh, Israel. They were able to gain access and audience with King Herod himself. Outside of the Bible, historians can help us a little bit learn about what a Magi was. Uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, and Herodotus, a Greek historian, uh, both record in their histories uh, a little bit about Magi. We first see them appear in history about the 7th century B.C. in the Persian Empire. Now, you might remember from your Bible that the Persian Empire came about during the time of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was taking captivity uh, from Israel to Babylon. And the Babylonian Empire was soon overthrown by the Persian Empire. And we know that Daniel rose in rank and influence within that kingdom. In fact, Daniel himself was a Magi. About 700 years later, by the time Jesus was born, they were an ancient sect of advisors and scholars who served the Parthian Empire. By the time the Parthian Empire came about, the Babylonian Empire was long gone. The Persian Empire was gone. And now a new uh, influence in that area, the Parthians, uh, were influential in the area of Iraq and Iran in that general uh, location in the world. They're called wise men because they served as priests, as astronomers, as as advisors to kings. They interpreted dreams and they uh, served as government officials. And because they served in these capacities, they had a deep knowledge of the mysteries of the world. And they were considered to be basically the scholars of their day, hence the word wise men. Uh, We often hear them called kings, the three kings. Well, there's actually no evidence from scripture that they were kings. In fact, that came about as a result of a Catholic tradition and was uh, emphasized through the song, the three kings. None of the early church fathers actually believed that the Magi were actual kings. And there definitely was probably more than three of them. Why do we have three wise men? Why do we have three Magi in the story? Do you know? Because of the gifts, right? Because they brought gold and what else? And myrrh. Okay, they had three gifts. So traditionally it's recognized that there was three of them. However, uh, the word in scripture is just plural, Magi's. And uh, that means there was more than one, but we don't know exactly how many. Uh, Regardless, that's not too important to the nature of our story this morning. The last part is, where did these magi come from? Do you know from the story? Is there anybody out there under the age of 12 that knows where the magi came from? I have a spotlight. This is kind of new for me. I can't see. (laughs) Anybody out there? From the which direction? We'll just make it real simple. From the east, right? From the east. They came from the east. Again, if you are in Jerusalem or Bethlehem in that area, guess what empire was east of them? The Persian, Babylonian, Parthian Empire. So it's very likely that these were uh, Persian uh, magi, people coming from the area of Iraq uh, or Iran of some sort. Uh, But basically the Bible just tells us from the east. 
So why do we, we do that? We, we, we need to get a little bit of an understanding of who they are because of the significance of their position in the world. Okay, they were very prominent men. They were important men. And yet, what do they do? They come, they journey over uh, probably hundreds of miles, and they find their way to the child, to a child. And they bring with them uh, gifts, like we mentioned. The first gift that they brought was gold. Uh, in, in history, in church tradition, each of these gifts represents something. And we're going to talk about that for just a few minutes. Gold uh, represented a monetary gift, a kingly gift. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, it says, The weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 660 talents of gold through gifts. It was a gift that was given to kings. It was a monetary, a financial gift given. And, and that gold represented Jesus' kingly role. Okay? And in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, it says that Jesus is our king of kings and our Lord of lords. Okay? Jesus was our king. And this, rep- this represented this gift of gold from the Magi represented them honoring him as a king. The frankincense. What is frankincense? Well, it's a perfume. It's used in medicine. Uh, it's a fragrant incense, and it represents Jesus' priestly role. So it was a gift that would be given to a priest who would offer it as an aroma to God. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, there was a lot of sacrifices that were, uh, that were offered to God by our priests, by the priests, by the Jewish priests. And they would offer these sacrifices as an offering to God, sometimes as a sin offering. And uh, if any of you have ever uh, sacrificed an animal, you'll know. No, I'm joking. You probably have never sacrificed. Hopefully, you've never sacrificed an animal. But you might have field-dressed a buck or an elk, and you know that when you have all of that blood and all of that raw meat and fat, and, and if it's in the Middle East and it's hot, what happens? There's an aroma, right? It's delicious when it's cooked, but it can be kind of stinky when it's being prepared. And so as all of these offerings were sacrificed in the temple, this incense that was offered up alongside of it would help kind of make a pleasant aroma in the temple. And the same thing, it was a sacrifice uh, to God. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 37, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum resin, anikia, uh, galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred and grind some of this powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. Uh, It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense uh, with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Okay, so you might notice here, you can catch that last little part, that the, the frankincense was used as purely an offering to who? To the Lord. Okay, this wasn't something that the, the priests would take home and, uh, and help make their own home smell good. This was something that was created just for the Lord. So this gift of frankincense, again, represented a priestly gift, as Christ is our high priest. How about myrrh? Myrrh is used as an anointing oil. It's medicinal, but it's also used in embalming of all pleasant thoughts, right? Embalming. In, in John chapter 19, verse 38, it records the story of Joseph of Arimathea. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. 
Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So the myrrh represents Jesus' sacrificial uh, gift, a gift given to him alluding to his death, to his burial, and his resurrection. You know, the holiday season is all about receiving gifts. Well, a little, bit, a little bit about giving gifts, but mostly about receiving gifts, at least when you're a kid. And when you're young, as you get older, the balance kind of changes to giving more than receiving. But here we are at the Christmas season, and we've been given a great gift by God. What can we give back to him? You know, this year I'm faced with a, a common struggle in my life, uh, buying a gift for my mother. Okay. I don't know if you're, you have one of those people in your life that it is almost impossible to find a gift that's appropriate because they pretty much have everything that they need and uh, they aren't willing to tell you what they want. So you have to guess, right? Now, thankfully, my mom's the type of person that will open up the present and be grateful for anything you give her. But it's very difficult to figure out what that right thing is, especially when it's someone you care about and you love and you want to give just the right gift to. I'm sure you have someone in in your life that's like that, that's difficult to buy for. Well, here we have God. And what do you give God? What do you give him? I mean, is God, does he have need? Does he have uh, something missing in his life that's, that we can help provide? Man, it's tough, isn't it? To find out or to figure out, what do we give God? In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. He doesn't need anything that we bring him. However, he asks us to give. He expects us to give. You know, I remember the first year that I, as as a high schooler, had my first job. And the excitement that I had around Christmas time when I finally bought my first gifts for the first time. Do you guys remember, remember that in your lives when you finally didn't have to use mom and dad's money to buy their gifts for them? But you were able to use your own? And I remember working hard and planning out just exactly what I would give my parents. And being so excited that Christmas when I presented them with a gift that had meaning uh, because I would worked hard for what I gave them. You know, our gifts sometimes reward us, don't they? Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think that God expects us to give not just because, not because he needs something, but because he knows what it does for our own heart to be people that give. There are benefits to us, and there are definitely benefits to others when we give. So what can we learn from this? What can we do? Well, 
uh, I was looking at these things, these frankincense, this gold, the frankincense and the myrrh, and how it represents uh, a monetary kingly gift. It represents a, a, um, a uh, spiritual aspect, the priestly part of the gift, and then, and then the, the myrrh represented a sacrificial. And so here are three things that we can give, we can bring to God. The first one is that we can bring our monetary gifts. We can bring our monetary gifts. In other words, we can financially support the Lord's work. Uh, Doug said it this morning, and you probably hear it quite a bit, God doesn't need your money, right? And we believe that. God doesn't need uh, any individual money because that would assume that he lacks something. However, we also know that, that the ministries in the church that we experience and that we're a part of, that we are, does need financial assistance. And so one of the things that we can learn is as we financially support God's work, it allows his influence to increase in this community. You know, there are many, 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 many ministries that are represented here at Southside. And I'll, I'll use CR. CR is often used as an example. Celebrate Recovery. It meets each Friday night here. And people are able to come from all over our community to experience a meal and experience God's word and experience acceptance and love and the grace of Jesus Christ. But it takes finances for that to happen. And God expects us to give of our finances. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, it says, Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord, your God, will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hands to. So there's, there's a blessing. There's a double blessing that takes place when we give. When we give financially, there's a double blessing. There's a blessing to us. There's also a blessing to the people we give. In Deuteronomy 16:17, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord, uh, your God, which he has given you. There's an expectation. And sometimes it's, it's tough. And, and as, a, as a church leader, uh, we sometimes get, uh, we're hesitant to talk from the pulpit about giving because we don't want to offend people. We don't want people to, to think that all we're doing is asking for money. That's not the point. The point is that God expects us. And like Doug said in, in his offering meditation, there's a heart issue at play here. When we give of our own resources, it, it opens up our heart to the blessings of God. Second thing we can bring, we can also bring our spiritual gifts. In other words, we can use our talents to serve other people. God has gifted us with abilities and, and uh, again, talents that we can use uh, for selfishness or we can use to help serve others. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. You should use your gifts that you've been given, the talents that God has given you to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things. Okay, here's the reason. Why do we give our, our abilities? Why do we give our gifts and talents? It says so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We bring our spiritual gifts because it brings glory to God. It honors him, and it brings other people to Jesus. That's why we give. That's why we give our financial resources. We give because we desire other people to come to know Jesus. Why do we give our abilities and our gifts? Why do we serve 
the kingdom? Why do we teach a Sunday school class or, or rock a baby in the nursery or drive a bus to pick people up who can't get there here by themselves? It's so that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must be proven faithful. Your abilities, the things that God has given to you, it may be that God has just given you a strong back and you're able to dig and rake and and lift heavy things. Maybe that's it. Maybe God hasn't given you a strong back, but he's given you a loud mouth. Oh, wait, that sounds bad. (laughs) He's given you the ability to speak. There we go. Use it for Jesus, right? Use it for Jesus because you've been entrusted with that gift. And he says that when you've been entrusted with that gift, you must prove yourself faithful. Are you using what he's given you, those gifts, to benefit yourself? Are you using those to benefit God and the kingdom? Here's the next thing we can bring. We can bring our sacrificial gifts. That may sound similar to the other ones, but here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we set ourselves aside and we put others first. We put aside our wants, our desires, what we perceive as our needs for the benefit of someone else. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. God has an expectation. He's given us. He's given us the greatest gift that we could ever be given, and we have a responsibility now not to gloat in that gift, not to see ourselves as more important than other people because we've received that gift, but to put others' needs in front of our own. Romans chapter 12 Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a what? As a living sacrifice. Okay, he doesn't want those burnt sacrifices any longer. He doesn't need those fragrant aromas. What does he want? He wants us. He wants our heart. He wants us to sacrifice ourselves for other people. That's because that sacrifice, it says, is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with a sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Okay? God has given us great blessings in our life. He's given us the greatest gift that's ever been given, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that accompanies that gift. He's given us abilities. He's given us resources. He's given us the the ability to put others first. And we have a responsibility to do just that. You know, I believe that when we look at these three areas, that each of us probably has one of them that's fairly easy for us. As I look at that, it's pretty easy for me to bring my spiritual gifts before the Lord. It's how I ended up in ministry because I was practicing that even from a young age bringing my abilities to the Lord and serving other people. And ultimately, God led me into the ministry as a result of that. It hasn't been a challenge in my life. Uh, But giving financially, that's a little tougher. So that's why when my wife and I got married, we had to sit down and commit. 
You know, for us, it was a spiritual discipline. It was difficult. It, we had to sit down and so that we were on the same page to say, it doesn't matter what our finances are going to be like, this is what we're going to do. I imagine some of those, maybe some of you, giving financially isn't a difficult thing. Uh, writing a check and putting an offering, that's one of the easiest things that you could do. The giving of your time and your energy might be more difficult. You're busy. You have things to do. You have people to see. Coming down on a Saturday to rake leaves, mm, that's not so easy, is it? So each of us, we probably we have one of those that's probably more difficult and one of those that's more easy for us to accomplish. But the act of giving is a lot like a, a muscle. You know, that act of giving, uh, whether, whatever, which, whichever category it falls in, giving is like working out. You know, working out can be difficult, especially when you're just starting. But as you do it, and as you break down your muscles, what happens to those muscles? They grow, and they become stronger. And that's the whole point of lifting weights, is breaking things down so that they grow stronger. As you give, whether it be financially, whether it be giving of your, your talents or abilities, or giving sacrificially, putting others in front of yourselves, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Success begets success. Have you ever heard that? Giving begets giving. You know, whether it's financially, whether it's spiritually or sacrificially, it's time for all of us, in light of the celebration of this season, of the celebration of the gift that has been given to us in the birth of our Savior, to evaluate what we bring to Jesus. You know, we can learn from this story of the Magi. There's lots of things that we can learn. I've kind of wrapped it up in this. Eagerly, the Magi sought answers to the questions that their study and the questions that the stars had created within them. Persistently, they traveled long distance for the hope of what they would find. Joyously, they arrived at the place that the star had guided them. Humbly, they came, leaving their position of comfort and influence to worship a child. Generously, they gave of their resources, of their time and their energy to honor the greatest gift from heaven. Wisely, they listened to the guidance from above to leave a different route to protect the Son of God. You know, as we celebrate this Christmas season and as we look at the various perspectives from Mary and Joseph to the shepherds to the Magi, it all boils down to one thing, the one who is in the manger. And so we look at these different perspectives to, to just to see it from a little different point of view. But each of these perspectives is looking at one point, and that's Jesus. And Jesus was born into this world for a purpose. And it wasn't to stay in that manger, right? He grew up. He honored his father and his mother. He never sinned. He performed miracles. He taught. He traveled the land uh, calling for people to follow him. And he was betrayed. And he was beaten and he was mocked and ridiculed, and he was crucified. And that little baby, that perfect little baby boy, innocent, grew up to die on a cross for each of us. And that's the reason we're here. We're not here today just because of a little baby born in a manger. We're here today because of a Savior who died on that cross. And thankfully, and praise be to God, he didn't stay there. But he came back to life. And he went back to be the father. And he's going to come again to us. 
And he has a request. He has an expectation. Now that he's given so much, what do we give him? You may not have the financial ability to give gold to the Savior. You may not have or feel like you have spiritual gifts to offer. You know, who am I? I don't have anything to give. Maybe you struggle with putting other people first. But God expects us to give. There's a poem. I'll end with this. There's a poem. I love this poem. It's called In the Bleak Midwinter. It was written by Christina Rossetti, an English poet in the 1800s. And the last little portion of the poem goes like this. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I will give him my heart. Where's your heart? That's right, right there. It's ours to give, or it's ours to hold on to. And Christ is giving you that opportunity today. And which will you choose? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And this season is about you. And the toys and the trees and the lights can get in the way of us remembering exactly what it was that you came for. And you were born humbly as a small child, uh, not to stay that way, but to grow up and to experience what it is to be a man, to experience what it is to be tried with temptation and go through difficult times in life, and ultimately to die as the perfect sacrifice. And Father, I just pray that whenever we see that nativity set, that we'll experience the joy that it brings because of the Savior being born, but also the joy that it brings knowing the Savior has been risen and taking care of every problem of sin. And Father, I just pray that as a result of that, that you will help us to give. Help us to be generous people with all of the resources we have, whether it be monetarily, whether it be gifts, or just putting someone's needs in front of our own. And help us to uh, do that very thing this week as we celebrate your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We have a couple take-at-homes this week, and I want us to, to, to read one of these together because the first one is to memorize Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, this is an amazing verse, and I hope that you understand just how amazing this is because it says in there that there we have good news of what? Great joy. Now, the best thing about joy is joy isn't dependent upon the situation that we're in, is it? Joy is an attitude of our heart that will get us through the most difficult times in this world. And it says that I bring you good news, not just of joy, but of what? Great joy. And that's what the Savior offers each of us. So let's read that verse together. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Luke 2.10. Here's a second one I want to encourage you today. Um, Maybe. I'll just read it. Spend time in the prayer this week asking the Lord what gift he would have you bring Jesus this year. And I don't mean the next nine days. I'm talking 2015. What can you bring the Savior? What can you gift the greatest gift this year? Pray about that. Ask God to open your heart and see where that would lead you. This morning, uh, it's a joy to share God's word with you. And it's a joy to share 
in the, the acceptance of that great gift of Jesus Christ. And if you never have made a formal uh, declaration, a, a, an official uh, surrender to God to say, God, I humbly submit to you and I accept the gift of your son, I'd really encourage you to do that. What greater time is there than the Christmas season to do just that? And if that's the case, I'd invite you to come talk to me. Uh, during this song, next song, please come down, grab me or catch me out in the lobby. Uh, Pastor Dick is in the back there. I see Don, Doug, all of us, any of us would love to talk to you and help you to accept that gift of Jesus Christ.